Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Everybody, all right. Well, welcome. We got uh, this is our session five of what great principals do differently. We we're just setting up some school visits. I'm ready to come. Let's go. You know, Grace, I'm going to come down. I'm going to be actually doing some youth leadership sessions in April. So if anybody's interested in doing some youth leadership training sessions, uh, reach out to me at tom at lbleaders.com. I'm going to be sending out a message uh, today, but I've got some messages on failing forward and uh, how, to, how to reach for your goals, how to over, overcome self-limiting beliefs, all sorts of things that we can help your uh, young students um, really grow and learn from. So go ahead and reach out to me and, or, or you know, catch the email if you're part of our daily email list and that opportunity will be coming to you. And, uh, and if you're close, I'll come see you in person if your school's in person. So we'd love to come down there to Anderson Creek Academy. All right, we'd love it. Would, would love it. Uh, all right, so here we are. We are in session five, and uh, I know lots of folks are probably maybe on a spring break this week and celebrating, hopefully getting some good family time and rest time and for this last nine weeks uh, of, of your potential school year. And I think that's a really important question to be asking uh, our team is, you know, um, where, you know, what do we want to most achieve over this last quarter of the school year? And most importantly, what strategic plans are we putting in place to achieve goals for 2021? Uh, so our team's going to be putting together a, um, it's a weekly um, uh, operational workshop through great leaders in, uh, in uh, charter schools, but it'll work for all, all schools in the areas of finance, human resource, uh, personnel and benefits, um, grant writing, uh, um, uh, like expanding your school. I don't know. We got nine experts, and so be looking for that opportunity. Uh, the the sessions will be free, but every Thursday at one o'clock, uh, starting on April the second Thursday in April, uh, we'll have a live session all the way through June 10th, and we start with risk management. Um, so our 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 organization. I can get to that. Our, my organization, is is really looking to equip and empower uh, leaders and administrative teams. And the best way to do that is to get them some high-level training. So I've asked our um, charter school vendor inner circle, our experts in charter school business and operations, um, to lead a weekly uh, session for you. Their best information coming to you uh, starting on April 8th. So look for that opportunity as well. So I was encouraged uh, this week uh, to really come back to that, um, that one particular uh, topic that we talked about last week was about 
you know, ple am I pleasing people or am I leading people? Am I pleasing people or am I leading people? And so um, there's this book. It's a fantastic book. It's one of my favorite John Maxwell books. It's called Leadership. And I think for educators, for school leaders, it's the best book that John wrote um, that would really apply because it's all about these 11 shifts that you have to make in leadership. And John talked about one of the shifts is um, that you've got to move away from pleasing people and you have to move towards leading people and challenging people. And so uh, I'm going to be adding a lesson that I did, a, a virtual lesson that I recorded on, on this particular chapter. I'm going to be adding it to you, What Great Principles page do. Uh, so you'll have that uh, tonight or next 24 hours. But just to hit a couple pieces here, uh, because, because here, here's a question that I wrote down. When have you relinquished leading your people in order to keep their approval? When have you relinquished leading your people in order to keep their approval? And I can think of so many times as, as a, you know, a leader of an organization when I was a, a principal that it was easier and more comfortable for me to not lead them, right? To not challenge them, to not take it to the expectation that we wanted because otherwise it may break relational currency. And so, so many times that that happened to me, I didn't realize because I wasn't mature enough or confident enough in my leadership abilities to say, but that's not what we agreed to. That's not what we committed to. And so I really love in this, in this you know, chapter, John, John talks about, right, there's seven specific steps to move from a people pleaser to a people leader. And the first one is to change your expectations towards leadership, right? Change your expectations towards leadership. And that means that instead of asking what's best for me, the first question I should ask is what's best for the organization? What's best for the organization? And then a second question I should ask is, what's best for other people in the organization? Remember, leaders eat last, right? Leadership begins and ends with you, but it has nothing to do with you. And so this you know, uh, question that comes out of this chapter is, when you ask others for commitment, you lose the uncommitted people and you gain the committed ones. And this sounds like this, right? We have to move away from, is everybody good? And move towards, are we all committed? So sometimes we end really important conversations said, we all good? Anybody have any questions? Everybody knew what they're doing? And we need to move it towards, are we all committed towards the actions of where we're going? Or we list them up on the board right at the end of that you know, meeting and say, here's our commitment. Is, every, is everybody clear on what we've all agreed to on this board? Are there any questions to your commitments? Are there any questions towards my expectations of what we've agreed here towards? 
And so you have to value other people as much as you value yourself, right? If you value yourself, you should be declaring noble intent. You should be putting a 10 on everybody's head, right? But see, one, one mistake that I made is I don't always value other people. And when I don't value them, I don't lead them. And I don't challenge them. I avoid them. And so by doing that, I'm actually diminishing their ability to grow as a person because I'm more about what's best for Tom Miller rather than what's best for the person who needs, who needs to rise up. Give me a yes in the chat box if I'm making any sense, because I could just be rambling here. But if you've, but if you've been in a, you know, at a moment where you make a choice, I can have that hard conversation with that person, or I can be like, you know what, I'm not going to renew their contract, or you know what, they're not worth my time. I just did that in the past week. And so as a leader, you have to commit to valuing your people, no matter what, right? And the way you do that is you work to establish your expectations up front, right? These are my expectations. And upfront, upfront appreciation places value on the person and increases the value of our time together. And that could be for anything. It could be a mentor-mentee relationship. It could be from a from a leader and a you know you know an admin team experience like being being prepared and saying this is what I expect of you or this is this is how we're best prepared for meetings and I was you know coaching a leader this week and they were talking about how boy it really really makes me mad when my people don't show up to meetings on time I said yeah that would make me mad too what do you do when they don't she goes well we all spend time you know trying to track them down and text them I said what no, you don't. You start the meeting. You start the meeting with the people that showed up on time. And then you have a private conversation with the people who didn't. Right? Because if you take the time to go track those people down, you're devaluing the people who showed up, right? Give me an amen if everybody agrees to that. I mean, there's nothing worse than showing up for a meeting on time and ready to go, and two or three other people aren't there and the meeting waits and stalls for them. Heck no, I'm not going to that meeting anymore. No way, why should I be on time, right? So upfront expectations increases the value of any meeting. Upfront questions are the quickest way for people to understand one another and, it, and increase the, you know, the value of our time together. So anyway, you'll get more in this when I send you the whole lesson. I don't wanna take you the whole thing, but. Um, if you've never read the book, I would highly recommend it. It's called Leadership. It's by John Maxwell. It's the 11 shifts that a leader has to take. So the last piece, I'm just going to share this, right? Um, and in here, it talks like a lot of what I learned. If you were part of our dealing and leading, you know, difficult people, like a lot of what I took out of that tough, tough conversation script is what John actually teaches in the book. But so this last principle is really important. You have to understand that 25 50-25 principle, right? So this means that 25% of your people support you. They're committed. 
50% of your people are undecided and the other 25% resist you, right? <laughs> and so Casey Stengel said that the secret of managing is keeping the guys who hate your guts away from the guy who hasn't made up their minds yet, right? It's about keeping that bottom 25% away from the 50% as much as possible. And then the goal is hopefully to continue to build influence with that middle 50% to do that. So anyway, if you've got the book, but uh, one of our, um, uh, Shelly was texting me this morning and, and I forgot to share that lesson. So I'm going to, oops, everything's falling, gravity in here. I'm going to put that in your, in your uh, resources. The, it's um, a lesson on it, but if not, you know, pick up the book. Uh, or you can actually um, get our whole mastermind recorded. We have all these books that we've recorded just like this in a mastermind, and you can actually buy access to all of them. There's like a dozen books or so in there, and then you can read them and you know study along with other people uh, in there on your own time. So, all right. Let me see the chat box. Some of you may have said I'm crazy, so let's see. All right. Robin said yes. I think we said regarding are you good is powerful because, yeah, we all say, it. yeah, that's just a habit that we need to break out of, right? And or even things like at the if, if you've ever been on like a thinking partner call with me or like a coaching call at the end of the call, I'll say. Of all the things that we talked about, what are you committed to doing? Because, Lindsay, I can't ask you to commit to do something. If you're not willing to do it right. If you say, eh, I'm not going to try that method. OK, so you tell me what you're committed to do. Because I need to know, because if my expectation is that Grace does exactly what I say, step by step by step, and she's like, no, I only going to commit to like two of those steps. Well, now we have a gap, right? Now we have a gap. And it doesn't mean that, that they can pick and choose what they commit to. It's you're holding the image, right? So when you, you know, you want them to bring, you want to bring them to their own truth. You don't want to bring them to your truth. You got to bring them to their own truth. Right? So when you're coaching and developing and supporting people and you're trying to close that gap, and one great example was this, is that you know, a leader I heard of today um, combs through all the report cards and, and, like, you know, and reads them and there's like lots of grammatical errors and, and, and like a spelling mistakes you know, from her teachers. And she goes through everyone and corrects them and then gives them back to them. And I said, yeah, but you're doing the work, right? I said, you're holding high expectations here, but you're not creating a plan for them to come here. They're staying here being like, that's okay. Principal Miller will fix it all. Because that's what they were doing. They were fixing the mistakes for them and then sending it off. And I was like, no, 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 no. Have them collaborate and say, it doesn't get to me until it's here. You all know what my expectations are. Bring it here. You all come here. I can lead you out of the cave, but I can't carry you out. Right, Grace? I can lead you out of the hole, but I can't carry you. So, and that's a perfect lead-in, and everybody should be able to unmute themselves. Everybody check to make sure they can, because the system was crazy last week. It leads us right into chapter 11, when he talks about focusing on behavior, then focus on the beliefs. And I would love to hear, you know, you know some of your thoughts around this uh, chapter, right? Like, why is it more effective and productive 
for the principal to focus on the behavior rather than trying to change the beliefs. What were some of the things that you all uh, wrote down and thought about? Just so I'm clear, can you tell me, make sure I'm on the right chapter? I got the corrections to your study guide, but just to make sure I'm following the right one. What chapter are you discussing right now? Chapter 11, focus on behavior, then focus on beliefs. Yep. Yeah, sorry about that, everybody. I don't know how we- my chapter, chapter. my chapter 11 in my book is standardized testing. Yeah, I have the same one. I have uh, edition, thir the third uh, edition. So that one would be, let me see. Third edition, it's 12. It's, okay, chapter okay. okay. Yep, 12 for me. What chapter would you like to talk about? You tell hey, me the I'm title. We'll on the right page here. I just, I'll talk about any of them. I just want to make sure I'm following along with my notes. <laughs> I have to look. I've got the second edition, so I'll have to look at what the third edition uh, chapter levels are. So, yep. How come nobody told me? Has it there been other chapters that have been out of whack? Yeah. No one ever tells me anything. Is this the first one? As long as we have the name of the chapter, it doesn't right. matter. Yeah, we can figure okay. it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to tell me when my stuff is wrong, please. Which reminds me, right? That, that's a really great uh, lesson. I was hiring a, a principal at a school once and I had put the wrong date in like one of the, I don't know, one of like the sign of geniuses or something, right? And um, no one told me that I put the wrong date, no one. And everybody showed up on the date that it should have been. Everybody except one person. And so one person came on the day that we didn't have interviews. And I went back to the team and I said, how come you guys didn't tell me that I put the wrong date on there? And they said, oh, we didn't wanna correct you. Like, but if you don't speak up, We'll never know. <laughs> I'll never know. And that poor, that poor, you know, a teacher that wanted to help with interviews showed up on the wrong day. She was probably the only one who read the side of Jimmy's. I don't know. But anyway, okay. So, so what chapter are we talking about? We're going to talk about standardized Focus testing, on behavior, and beliefs. Right. Oh, great. Yeah, we talked about standardized testing last week. So one of the things that um, stood out to me was the let's call those parents. Um, I, mm -hmm. that is kind of almost the most, it's like the single one thing that teachers just don't want to do. Um, they are afraid to call home and, and I haven't figured, you know, one of the things he says is that, um, they just don't know what to say. And so just the idea of having, um, some training on, how how to communicate with parents when you call home um, in different situations in the supportive parent situation and a maybe neutral and then a difficult um, is a really great idea and so that's something that um, as I move into next school year is something that I'll do in one of my training sessions so I thought that that was a really good piece because you tell them to call all the time did you call the parent well no or, you know, the number didn't work. Well, why is it when I called the number worked? I, I don't understand. It's the same number in the system that you have that I have. Um, 
So, yep. Yep. I love it. Yeah, and I got a lot to say about this, and I love what you know. Uh, Danya said she said, um, or Dana is that they've got uh, you know scripts, right? They help them, you know, writing out scripts. And uh, do you want to talk about that, you know, Miss Wayne, if you're able to? Do you want to share kind of how you came to these scripts and and how you introduce them? Yeah, sure. If you're open. So basically, you know, like you said, Ms. Hopkins, that parental communication is super important. Our district used to have an initiative where um, we kind of competed against all the schools in the district. We have about uh, 14 or 15 schools, something like that in our district. And we used to have to make sure that all of our calls were logged in Skyward, which is used. And then they were able to pull reports to see how many positive calls were made, how many general concerns were made, you know, how many calls were made for discipline. And with that, they provided scripts to us. So we no longer do that in the district because our, our district leadership has changed. However, as a campus, we're still providing scripts to our uh, teachers to call for like standardized testing because now we're in a situation we're in Texas. So um, if kid, if parents don't want to send their kids to school on testing day, then they, they're not going to be accountable for the state assessment. And so now our parents, our teachers are calling our parents now using those scripts to make sure that parents are aware, but they also use those scripts to use like Google voice to text parents so that because some parents will respond better to a text message than they will a phone call. And, um, and so we just email them a script and say, you know, use it if you, you know, it's just an anchor of support. They don't necessarily have to use it if they're comfortable, but it really definitely helps our uh, first year teachers, you know, our, or beginning year teachers, I guess you could say, and then our teachers who aren't very comfortable with, with making that parental contact. I love it. Listen, everybody, the number one advancement Right, the number one skill required for professional advancement is what? Fill in the blank. What do you think? The number one skill for professional advancement. Throw it out there. There's no wrong answer. Yes, Robin nailed it. Communication. Yet, how much time do we spend teaching people how to communicate or going to communication training? Yet, we do it 24 hours a day. Even when we're sleeping, we're still communicating, right? Because body language is 55% of communication. That's why we you know, created our communication masterclass because they realize there's so many people are lacking in that skill. And we did that no-fail communication class in uh, February, if you were a part of it. And, and this is such an important, like there was no how to write an email class in college. It's just assumed that people know how to do it. So we're, so we're battling two things. We're battling the terror barrier, which Robin talked about, because you know, teachers are afraid because they know that somehow they're going to be criticized, and that's what their real fear is, right? You know, the fear is criticism. Somehow the parent's going to come back and say, no, you didn't do your job or something to that effect, and they know the truth. They probably didn't do their job, and they have poor skills. They have poor communication skills, and they're afraid, so how come we're not helping them close that gap, right? And how come we're not, you know, giving them, I love the process that you guys had, like it was expected at the beginning. And that's why, and I don't know if we've got any uh, charter school or private school leaders here, but at our, you know, fully enrolled, you know, workbook, like that first communication is about open house. Hey, I'm Tom Miller. I'm calling all of my parents tonight. So I don't have a lot of time, right? That's how you keep the call short. But I want to let you know that open house is on X day and I need to make sure you're there. 
you're going to be there? Great. Awesome. I can count you in. I'll tell my principal that you're coming and you can go to my website, blah, 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 blah. It's just the first introduction. And you like help them. You help them like create that first month of communication through scripting and building rapport and relationship and making it okay. And if you've ever read Whitaker's um, Dealing with Difficult Adults, or it's either, it must be dealing with uh, uh, difficult teachers, is he, is he'll actually like bring his phone to the classroom and say, hey, just like uh, you said, Ms. Hopkins, how did that call go? Oh, I never actually got through. Oh, you didn't? Well, I'll tell you what, I was, here's my phone. Here's the phone number. Let's right now, here's our script. Let, what are the three points you want to make? I'm going to go watch your class. You go make that phone call. Like, right, he, he creates that system where that's the expectation. You're going to make that phone call because I'm not making it for you, right? But that's what happens. Lots of times as the principals, we end up making the hard call eventually. Then we learn all sorts of stuff, right? Because it's bigger on the back end. So the more we can prepare them, you know, the more that they'll be comfortable. And the terror barrier goes like this. <clears throat> Step one is the comfort zone, right? We're all comfortable. We're all happy. I don't have to call anybody, right? So I'll just use this example this year when, you know, the comfort zone of COVID was, um, oh, I called them and they didn't answer, or I emailed and they never got back to, right? Because they're happy to stay safe. And then, then they have a reason, right? Like their boss says you have to call. Or, you know, something happens and they have to make a, you know, different um, effort. And that's where the terror comes in. And, and like 80% of the people never get past step three because they get so afraid of the terror of the criticism that they just fall right back into comfort, which was, well, I called, but they didn't answer. Okay. Did you leave a message? No, I didn't leave a message. Well, how are they going to know to call you back? Well, I wasn't sure what number to leave for them. Okay, how about the school's number? You could leave the school's number, right? Because they said to me they didn't want to leave their private cell. Okay, but you could leave the school's number. In fact, and in this particular class, the teacher had a phone in his room. I said, well, what's that number? Couldn't you, like, have the call? Oh, yeah, that's right. I could have done that, right? It's unbelievable what we find but then we realize how we have to close that gap and help them get from A to Z because the leader at this particular school just had very low expectations, right? So I had to go in and I was trying to understand why they got there. But if you can go through the terror barrier, the next step is freedom. And then because you have these teachers that they're very confident and, you know, comfortable in, you know, calling home, it's because they have build up confidence and they know how to do it. You know, they've uh, been equipped to do it. There's a couple of pieces here. So we end up getting the call that could have been prevented with, that's right. You know, I mean, that's really what it is. So the more work that we could do as principals on the front end and help our teachers and equip them, you know, the better we'll be on the back end. Um, and then as Stephanie says, I tell my teachers that they build a lot of capital with parents when they proactively with a positive phone call. That's right. Even if it's, I love your kid's shoes, find something at the very beginning. Uh, and then when things don't go well later, you draw on that. I love that. Right. So maybe you could have like a monthly expectation of, you know, one, uh, you know, positive uh, praise statement. That's kind of where Whitaker starts to go here next. And, and so I want to hear you all 
you know, thoughts about, um, you know, again, going from the behavior to the uh, belief piece. But at the school that I was a middle school director at, um, we, we had a rule, it was the three M's. So it was um, uh, motivation, mastery, and management. So the rule was, um, you know, motivate students every day, teach to mastery, and if you didn't, um, if you had poor classroom management, that means you're not following rule one or rule two, right? Because that's what it was all about. So it was a four to one expectation of praise to redirection ratio. Uh, so, so not only was that expected to the students, but it was also adult to adult. So uh, part of our teacher walkthrough uh, protocol and our teacher evaluations was how many praise statements to how many redirections. So the entire organization was really focused on this. And so, so it, and sometimes it was hard, right? Sometimes it's hard to find four uh, positive things that are happening in a classroom or four you know, uh, positive things that a student might be doing. But it, it was the daily expectation and it just created an easier way, just like as Stephanie said, to redirect, right? Because we, we had built some currency, we had built some credibility with kids right and also parents right so that was our expectation with our uh, communication so i don't know if any of you have any like cool acronyms or whatever for your you know positive you know praise you know peace but when i think about like that starts with leadership when i when i go and observe teachers and the and the and the ratio is the opposite right like one praise to 10 redirections I wonder like how much praise is the teacher getting, right? How much is this an expectation? So I'm curious as leaders, do you all have any expectations with praise to redirection or like how do you keep it positive in your school? Well, in our school, um, we have, you know, um, for the students, uh, we let, we have positive office referrals. So here's my stack of those. This is how many phone calls I've made. And we have a ton of those that we keep cool. um, that our teachers give to the students when they've done something extra special um, and they get to come to the office. It's a big hairy deal and we call their parents and we're one that helps us because as the assistant principal and uh, the principal, we love making positive phone calls because you can always hear the parents uh, that are new to our school. When I say good afternoon, I'm Lindsay McBride, the assistant principal, they go, <gasps> You know, and so when I tell them that, you know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. No one's hurt. No one's in trouble. And here's what I'm calling for. So that's a big deal. And that kind of starts some positive communication. And we try to do a really good job of uplifting our teachers and modeling that for the students. Um, any chance that we have to brag on our teachers, we, we take that opportunity. Miss Edwards on here is much better than myself at words of affirmation and making sure we model that for our students. And then it pours into the teachers when they see us treating the teachers that way um, the teachers will in turn do that for the students as well so yeah I love that right because normally when he calls oh what did he do what did Johnny do you're like you know this is you know this is a there's another school that I work with uh, uh, Clover Garden School they use it's called the hero builder program and they get like these little kind of badges so even during COVID when kids were at home she would mail like a handwritten note with the badge because they were recognized for hitting these core principles. I mean, it really does start at the top, you know? I mean, we have to model the way and show the way. So 
if our teachers aren't using positive reinforcers at the level we want to, we kind of got to look and say, what role do we have in this problem, right? How have we made it hard for them? Um, and, you know, some folks are just, you know, all depending, like secondary people, no offense to secondary people, they're a little, I won't say colder, but it's a little harder sometimes to get some positivity out of them, uh, you know, compared to, you know, elementary folks are just, it's just the way that it is. But either way, like, it's easier to get negative attention than it is, you know, to get positive attention. So, and it doesn't feel good to constantly redirect people. So the more that we can, you know, praise specifically, in my opinion, I just always find that I feel better. The person that I gave a compliment to feels better. Um, and it makes a big difference. And if you're part of our daily email, I put that out, that, you know, 30-second rule, right? The first 30 seconds of any communication how could you make it, you know, positive? Is there something that you could say about the person uh, just to get them, oh, look, you know, leaning in versus, oh, gosh, here comes Tom again. Who wants to talk to this guy? So another thing I always tell teachers and I feel like um, for some of them, it's automatic. For some of them, it's not. But um, I loved what Stephanie said in the chat about telling uh, teachers that they build capital because picking up that phone and making a phone call is going to develop relationships. Parents are going to know that they can trust you um, just because you're having a conversation and can share that genuine concern for their child, especially if you've had a chance to brag on them and tell them something positive from the teacher perspective before you're having to make that disciplinary call. But I always tell my teachers, always, always, always feed them a sandwich. And by that, I mean, you start with something positive. <laughs> you know, bragging on their kid or say something uh, that is encouraging. And then the meat of what you need to talk to them about, if that's the negative part per se, or the disciplinary action or whatever the concern or the issue is. And, and then at the end, you end with something positive. And I said, always feed them a sandwich. And some of my teachers had, had never heard that, but um, when they come to me with an issue, um, the first thing I'm gonna say is, have you talked to the parents? other than just dojo message or other than just email, have you picked up the phone and talked to the parents? Um, so they know that that's important in our building. And I think it pays off. I really do. Yeah. I, it's, I really it's struggled. It's a choice, right? Good stuff. No, I really struggled because I had uh, a co-teach pair who wrote the most horrible comments for this only the special ed kids. They were really not strength-based. They were very... Um, you know, deflating, I think, if, if for the parents reading them. And I wrote back to them, you know, on the comments, I said, look, these feel a little negative. We really want to come from a strength-based approach. I even modeled like some language that might help. They gave me such pushback and they're like, we think they're great. We think we're being honest and we're going to keep them. And I just kind of at that point was like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do with this. Like these, these are, these are dreadful. If I got this as a parent, I'd be mortified. So like, I, I kind of was stalled out at that point. And I would love some advice about like mm -hmm. how to pick that up and, and, and find a shift in behavior for that. Yeah, good question. Let's bring it to the group. How would you handle that? Are these, they wrote their own comments or they're like in the system? No, these are handcrafted. Okay, handcrafted, okay, perfect. So are you their main evaluator? So do you, do you, uh, do you give them feedback on their observations? I do. I, I would ask, did you have a face-to-face -face conversation with them or was your feedback only written? It was, pri it was primarily written. 
I think I would probably do the same thing so that you can develop a relationship with them and develop that trust is have that face-to-face -face conversation with them and just, um, you know, if you're reading this blindly as a parent and this was coming across as your child, again, that whole sandwich mentality, I don't have a problem with you being honest and transparent with this child's strengths and weaknesses, but the way, the tone of how this message has come across mm -hmm. is, uh, reading this as a parent, it's, it's hurtful. And that's the only kid they got, you know, that's their only baby and that's their prized possession and they need to hear something um, positive about that. So that would be only my only suggestion is the same kind of advice that I give teachers is, is maybe talk to them in person so that you can um, develop that same kind of trust and relationship. They can read your, you know, body language and you're able to give them a sandwich before you start in on um, moving forward with that. Thank you. Could be a ratio too, right? Like like we had, it was four to one. And it's interesting, and I, you know, the reason why I asked you that question is because I, I used to read all the report card, you know, comments and sounds like you do too. And I used to be like, gosh, these like, you know, power school comments are brutal. Like, I can't believe that this is what power school would put. And then I found that, that the teacher learned how to put their own, you know, comments in there. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I think we need to like revamp this wording a little bit. Let's, you know, let's be a little bit softer um or or yeah or you know put it in our core values so does your school have adopted core values no okay how about like a character education program oh we're steeped in that but you know it's it's kind of i feel like my school is kind of like the twilight zone it's it's like no place i've ever been i've been there for four years now and it's it's like this alternate universe where things that should make sense don't happen there um it's it's mm -hmm. very it's very strange it's it's culture that's all it's just culture yeah so i think you know maybe that's part of like a workshop as a staff would be like you know and not to point out certain people you just say hey here's our characters here's our values like you know here's some things that we want to do like how do we just again going to the the communication piece how do we want to be remembered right so how do how do i want to be remembered as a teacher and, and, you know, 25 years from now, right, kind of having them point themselves in that legacy conversation and that empathy, you know, conversation, is this, do I want someone 25 years from now to pull out, pull out their report card and be like, oh, man, that was such a great year. Well, except for Tom Miller. I mean, look <laughs> at these things he wrote about me. What an idiot, right? And so, I, so I think, you know, sometimes like bringing it into, into a different perspective helps um, and just if you read this, you know, uh, blindly, and if you had a kid, what would you think, you know, and it just could be that they just honestly sound like they're more task oriented people rather than people oriented people, because your people oriented people are going to write everything nice, your task oriented people are going to talk about the things that they don't do. So creating that blended model of uh, that's fine, but you need to have at least two, you know, positives for every negative on a on a report card and you should have already told this to the parent in a phone call. I mean, maybe that's part of the expectation. There should never be a surprise on the report card. No, but there always is because of the fear and the terror barrier because they don't want to actually have that conversation. It's easier to hide behind keyboard strength, right? I mean, that's, that's no worse than, you know, tweeting out, you know, something about, you know, somebody. And, Any other thoughts on that, Ms. Swain? You always got great, great thoughts. Grace, you've been putting down 
report cards for, I mean, I don't want to, it's been at least 10 years, Grace Merkel. Grace, is, Grace has been teaching. Grace, how long have you been teaching for? Can you tell us? If she's open, let's see if she'll open up. You're, you're um, muted. Come on, Grace, open up. You're muted. Yeah, hit your unmute button. She's trying to figure it out. I can't unmute you. It's over 50 years, but might be 60. Anyway. I'm good at reading lips. I think she says 63, but I'm just guessing. Yeah, 63. That's that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, 63 years. I mean, and she's still amazing, and she has more energy than all of us. Don't you, Grace? Just nod your head yes. I just muted Lindsay at the back room. So yeah, so okay, so let's so how so how do we change the behaviors, right? So let's go back to the point. Why is it important to focus on the behavior rather than the beliefs, right? So kind of to to Miss Bell's you know piece here, like it sounds like to me you're moving towards your beliefs, right? So but it's like so how do we so like how do we focus on the behavior first? How do we make sure we're doing that? rather than try to change someone's beliefs about somebody. Why, why do we uh, focus on the behavior first? Where do beliefs come from? Well, I mean, beliefs are part of, of, of just everything, how we've grown up, our family background, our exposure, our uh, media exposure, our, uh, where you know where we live all of those things shape our beliefs and so to me i think the key to focusing on behavior is having those clear expectations of this is what i want this is what we expect you to do now you may not like it you may not agree but that's okay but here at this school this is what we do um and with the hope that if what we're asking them to do is best practice they will see the benefits of what we're asking them to do and transition their behaviors. And that's kind of what Stephanie is going to have to do. She's going to have to say, this is what I want you to do, period. And then they're going to have to transition. And they'll do it begrudgingly, but it just, this is what you got to do. Grace, you had yourself unmuted. Now, now you're muted again. You want to, you want to participate? That was a good answer, Ruth. I, or Robin, I'm sorry, sorry. Um, I couldn't find the um, mute thing on here. This is my new computer here, so it's kind of hard. Anyway, I have been teaching for the last 63 years, but I have never been a principal except at a charter school for just a short period of time because I'm a teacher. First of all, I'm not an administrator, but I wanted to take this, and I told Thomas because we have some teachers that are very uh, interested in becoming principals and I want to sort of have some ideas to guide them and tell them you need to do this and since they couldn't make us I'm taking information and I'm going to be working with them that's the reason I'm here but I'm also 88 years old guys okay <laughs> all right Tom you got so, it so great no but how do we how like answer some of the questions here you know uh, Stephanie talked about you know some of her you know staff members writing 
not so nice, you know, comments on report cards. Like, how do we, you know, you being in, you know, teaching for, for a great amount of time and all this wisdom, how do we as a principals really start to work to change the behaviors of some of those more difficult teachers? What are, what are some ways that you've seen over, that has worked in the past? I, I don't have any problems with teachers putting comments on report cards because when I was there at the beginning at, at, the, at the academy, uh, it, it, was, it was completely different than what I was used to, first of all, Tom, because I worked with the Department of Defense and uh, <clears throat> we were required to do it, so I expected them to do it. And of course, I said, well, well we don't have to. I said, and how are you going to let the parents know what the child is doing if you don't give them a, uh, something to look at? And so it, it was difficult, but I was able to talk to them and say, well, you know, this is uh, something that we've always done. This is the way you do it, et cetera, et cetera. And they did it, and now we don't have any problems. What if it was only negative comments, Grace? If there's a negative comment, I would try to talk to them and say, can you say something positive instead of putting this here? Because first of all, you have to give the child the opportunity to do better. And if you're going to be negative all the time, that child is going to be negative too. So we need to work in that, in that direction, Tom. That's a, but that's a great point too, right? Because how, you know, just like if you as a leader, if you see your staff member anything less than a 10, that's how you're going to treat them, and that's how they're going to feel treated, and that's how they're going to respond to you. So having that same conversation maybe with the, you know, with the adults, say, but if I treated you that way all the time, if every time I came in your classroom and only pointed out all of the, all the things you do wrong as a teacher, how would that make you feel? And they'd probably say, well, I'd hate that. Okay, well, how do you think this teenager is feeling? Exactly. That if the only feedback that they ever get from you is everything that they do wrong, right? Like, you know, that self-limiting police doesn't no, need more, more admiration is you, you don't know what actually happened at home. So if you're gonna be putting the child down, perhaps that's what's happening at home to begin with. You have to be positive and say, we need to do this for this child because eventually he's gonna come back, come around. You know, you just gotta give him the benefit of the doubt. So bad comments are I wish bad I, for everybody, okay? Don't do it. <laughs> I wish I had that uh, grace as a uh, as a teacher. When I learned uh, Spanish, I probably would have passed it. Maybe maybe you would have maybe you would have uh, seen through my giant you know ego, Grace, and uh, been able to inspire me to pay attention. So thank you for all the effort and all the thousands and thousands of students that you've impacted and adults. Right, eighty-eight, crushing it. You can't get her to retire. It's impossible. She won't. So, so those are some, you know, key pieces, and I like what, you know, Ms. Hopkins said is that, you know, so remember, beliefs drive behavior, behavior drives actions, actions drive results. And in this case, right, what, you know, Whitaker talks about is like, you don't have to like the kids, but you have to act like you do, right? That's my expectation here. And eventually, you could start to go all the way back to try to change their beliefs, because you could just build their awareness and show how it's, you know, different. I mean, there's lots of people that I've worked with where like 18 months later, they'll say, I really hated you at the beginning, but now I'm starting to see changes and, you know, difference in my life. And so thanks. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> I didn't realize you hated me, but I appreciate that. And, and so, because so you got to focus on the behavior first, right. And, and get them to rise up the expectations. And, you know, depending on the school that you're in, right, because 
district schools have different rules. And so sometimes it's harder and they're protected by all these other rules. It doesn't matter. We're doing what's best for kids. And that's what I expect you to do. And a lot of you have to jump through massive hoops compared to most of us in the you know, charter school world. We don't have to jump through those hoops. We could just tell someone, you just can't do that here. So you decide, right? All right by uh, tomorrow, are you either going to start to work to get to here or are you gonna stay down here? I just need to know because I need to create a plan. Nothing personal, you can still act that way. You just can't do it at our school. You can go do it at another school. I'll help you find that role, but I'm sorry. It just, just doesn't fly here. So I think that's one of the challenges. But remember, you know, people are doing their best and they're doing what they know and they're doing what's comfortable for them. So the only way to grow them is to take them outside of their comfort zone. And you, as the leader, should never be the more uncomfortable person in a conversation. Remember that, right? So just like our teachers don't have the call with parents, we're not always great at having the timely, crucial conversation with other adults. Right. So everything that we um, see and don't address is basically we're allowing it. But then if we know this is repeated behavior, how are we going to create a new culture to change it? Because I can't remember, you know, someone said about, you know, teaching people how to do emails and I'll do it next year. You could start next week. Right. You could just say, hey, here's a model of you know some really good emails that I see right you could scrub all the names so they don't know what you know teachers they came from but hey let's let's start really making sure that when we take the time and here's some templates so you don't have to take so much extra time but here's some you know templates of some good nurturing care with candor emails right or hey I've uh, scripted out a couple of you know parent home messages and you could just start to get them into that mode you know right now uh, because um, I'll tell you what, this last quarter is going to probably be the most challenging time for uh, teachers who are afraid to have phone calls home, right? Because a lot of us are transitioning our schools from fully remote to on campus. Kids aren't showing up. They haven't been doing work all year. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going to start to happen. So the more that you can equip and prepare them, right, for when you're not in the room, because you can't be on every phone call and you can't be in every meeting, but your job is to create as many vision carriers and vision casters in your organization as you can. That might be um, a good start there. So any thoughts around that? And Grace is inspiring, Lindsay. You spend five minutes with her and it's, you're on fire, you're ready to go. So. All right. So, Let's take, we want to take a little bit of time. So I don't know what chapter it is, I guess, in your book. Uh, loyal to whom? Yeah, okay, great. So let's talk about this one. Why do you think it's more important to be loyal, right, for teachers to be loyal to their students rather to be loyal to their principal? Let's, you know, talk about this, you know, premise here. What do you think Whitaker's trying to get to here? Everyone's loyal to the students. That's the way school needs to run. How come? Those are your customers. That's what school is all about. It's all about kids. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, 
so how about and I don't know so you know I think the the real important part is that yes every student is really important but at what point and it's the same for adults and kids like one student can impact a hundred right one adult can impact 500 right so that's where it gets really hard but it's making that plan right it's it's you know being able to see that child still has a 10 knowing that they're doing their best but they got some, they got some baggage and we need to figure it out but i can't let them impact the other 25 and 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 there's there's a lots of you know laws and sometimes leaders get frustrated and they make like reactionary decisions around those particular children like right? that very very small you know percent which ends up really really getting them in trouble but so how do you get that message to your teachers is do what do what is best for the students how do we make sure they know what's best for them how do you all communicate that i actually narrate a lot of my own decision making for the faculty so I'm modeling it in the things that I do that are building wide. Um, and I, you know, the expectation is that transfers to the decisions they're making for their classroom. And when I, you know, when I am dealing with a specific child, when I go back to the teacher and explain what we did and why, it's always got to be best for the student, best for the class, best for the school. Um, you know, and, and I just, I narrate it all. Where did you learn to do that? So as a communication major in college, um, it was an intrapersonal and interpersonal communication and rhetoric. So I've got a lot of those little tools in my pocket. I love that. Yeah, that's that's such a great idea. I love I, I try to talk to principals a lot. about do you think your team knows how you make decisions? And they're like, oh, I don't know. But they need to know. Because otherwise, you're just watching and be like, at what point are they going to make a decision? Or if you're like me, like, oh, they've already made a decision. I don't really need to participate because it doesn't matter what I say. Tom's already going to you know, do it. Right. So but they need to know how we get there. That's well, that's it's also, you know, I, I realized that. I realized that they only see a fraction of our job. They only see a fraction of what we do. So if you kind of expand their scope and they can see kind of how things fall in the greater scheme, it helps them to understand and I think it, it just creates a better relationship with people because they you know they know why you know where your where your heart is where your mind is when you're making decisions yeah I think so you know going back to how we oh good good Robin sorry I was gonna say I think too one of the things that I like to ask is how how is this decision going to impact the everybody else so yes, maybe this student is in this situation and they want us to make this exception for this child, but how is this exception gonna impact the greater good? And is that, is, is it going, does it matter? And it doesn't impact the greater good and this is what's best for the kid? Or is that gonna really um, blow up in our faces because we're making this exception or whatever it is that we're doing for this one child? And so while it is important to say what is good for the kid and what's the best for the kid, we also have to keep in mind how that one decision might also impact the rest of um, what it is that we're doing. And so that's one of the ways in which I try to make sure we are keep it, keeping sight of the, of the big picture and not just what we're doing for that kid. Mm -hmm. I love it. Anybody else? 
I chime in. Um, oftentimes when people come to me about something, I will always ask um, what the impact is on, on kids. Um, you know, kind of like what you were saying, Stephanie, but um, we also have uh, what we call the Raven Way, and we have six components, and students first is the first component. Um, that then uh, relationships, belonging, climate and culture. Um, we are an avid national demo school, so college and career readiness is a component, as well as we're a fine arts academy, so the arts is also a part of that. Raven Way, but the Raven Way is basically how we do business on our campus. And so I always try to revert back to that when, when it comes down to conversations about decision making. And I do also ask staff, um, when they come to me with a problem, what they think the solution should be, because I don't like when people just come to complain and they don't have a solution and they know that it better have those students at the center of it or it's, it's a no. <laughs> yeah that's i love that there's two there's two things you're doing there right you're you're building leadership capacity in your people because you can't be there to make every decision and that's what i would tell my staff like, make the best decision for the students if it's wrong i got it i'll take the blame and then we'll we'll you know we will fix it the next time right we'll make sure what should we do because if they don't know what to do, I don't need them. Like if I have to make every decision for my organization, I'm not sure why I'm even paying any of you guys, right? You can't have, you can't have just one person in a hold of all that. They, you need to develop capacity in everybody. So having clarity in those expectations, right? And what that means to be student first and you know, driven that way reminds me of the leadership you know, chapter that we started with you're teaching those adults how to be not kid pleasers it's 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 leaders of children because if we let kids off the hook how is that helping them for the future you know i remember middle school kids you know being middle school kids at our schools like i'm just letting you know when you come through that gate so when you leave like you work here like you won't be on the unemployment line at 21 and blame us you might blame someone else but while you're here like we're gonna you know you're here to work you're here to learn no one's off the hook you're all you, we're all going to do everything we can to help you grow and if you make mistakes make them here i'd rather you make them here and be dumb here than somewhere else it's okay like but that's important right that we that we clarify those um and i've never really you know thought about that but that's how you could even say to the to the uh, staff member that's really struggling is like are you doing what's best for the kid by not having them do that work or by you know letting them off the hook right or by grading them differently so back to your point you know miss bell like i think those teachers think they're doing the right thing but they also need to point out the positives just from grace's point and you could say i think you're doing the right thing but do you think you're doing what's best for that kid by only putting negatives you can't think of anything positive about that kid not one thing come on i think we could do it together and it's you're helping them guiding the way that's not leading them by just you know um joan roman who's a great leader here in north carolina she says tom everybody feels better after they vomit but no one likes to be vomited on <laughs> we don't need to pour on other people when those things happen right 
but we need to point it out and build awareness in them to help them grow, to help them make better decisions for students and be clear about what that means. And I'm making decisions based upon what's best for my staff when I'm a principal, and I'm expecting my uh, teachers to make decisions what's best upon for kids while they're in that you know, classroom. I get that's the way I'm interpreting it. So, uh, from, but I have to put everybody in a position to do that, um, to make sure that they have that autonomy with that responsibility to do that. Cool. All right. So, uh, calls to action and action steps this week, right? Or to maybe to work on a script for your teachers to maybe ask your teachers, hey, what does it mean to be student first? Like, you know, give me some examples or maybe even pointing out how other staff members are making decisions based upon, you know, students first, right? And you start to kind of build this momentum of what this really means and what this really looks like. Um, now, according to my book, next week, two more chapters. And if you're on break, that's cool. I'm gonna work on, on Easter Monday only for you. I took the rest of the day off, but I'm gonna, do one hour uh, next week. I have base every decision based upon your best teachers. And in every situation, ask who's the most comfortable and least comfortable. Those are my two next uh, chapters in my book. And then I'll find the other book and look to see where I'm, I'm off a target. So maybe I missed something. So love you all. Great job. Thanks for hanging in with us. Have a very safe holiday or spring break or whatever you're doing. Enjoy your Easter if you celebrate it. And, uh, um, and, uh, if you need anything, reach out. I'll be here for you. Thanks, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Principal's Office podcast. There's two things I want you to do. One is if we said anything that you liked or added value to you or helped you as a leader, please share it out, like it, and make sure you subscribe so you get the notifications when the next uh, podcast is available to you. And secondly, if you want to download the study guide and the show notes and the resources like the hiring plan, and the extra lessons about how you can grow yourself and grow your team as a leader, make sure you go to our website at lbleaders.com. And at the very top of the homepage, you're going to see a prompt that says, join our What Great Principles Do Differently study. Click on that, and you will be able to download all of the show notes, all of the study guides, and all of the additional resources uh, that will help you be the most effective school leader. Again, make sure you uh, subscribe, make sure you share, make sure you like, and looking forward to seeing you on the next episode where we continue to talk about Todd Whitaker's What Great Principles Do Differently. Thanks, everyone.